With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. On this episode of the Fieldhouse Files, I'll talk with Chris Taylor, who has risen from basketball operations assistant with the Pacers to Matt Ant's general manager. Then... I'll be joined by Carlos Knox, who is back with the Indiana Fever as an assistant coach. And welcome into the Fieldhouse Files, the podcast where I take you behind the scenes with the Pacers, talk to individuals on and around the team, and tell you what you need to know. Well, the last few weeks have been a lot for the Pacers, as well for myself. The Pacers haven't won And I went through a period where I tested positive for COVID-19 right after Christmas, and that caused me to miss some home games. Too many, in fact, for my liking. Three in total, uh, which is not fun. I don't think I've missed three home games in the last three seasons. But that was strange, being at home, uh, having to rely on Zoom and watching home games from my place, all while being like a four iron from the field house and unable to go. And also what was unusual about it is – The NBA had not yet established return to, let's call it right protocols, protocols to return for media, Um, those that are around these players and teams every single day. So I was talking with the Pacers. I was talking with NBA PR, trying to figure out, like, what exactly do they need? It's foreign territory. It's unknown. And now, since my period uh, there, they have established some return to the job protocols, if you will, from reporters. And it's very similar Uh, to those that are around the team every single day, what they call Tier 1. But nonetheless, it was strange to kind of be a story, or I was able to at least turn it into a story, um, which I thought was interesting from my front, because I'm reporting on you know Justin Holiday, Rick Carlisle, uh, many other players testing positive. Well, there I had firsthand experience. I don't know what it's like to play an NBA game or answer questions from a podium like Rick, Rick Carlisle does after games. But I do know what it's like, essentially, to enter protocols and not be able to do your job to the full extent. There are workarounds, much like there were for the teams where you know, the coaching staff was holding meetings on Zoom, but they're not in the same room. And it's not the same like me being 5 feet or 10 feet or talking and interviewing players or attending practices. It's just not the same. It's not fun, but we're all going through it, and at least for me, hopefully, it's past me. Um, I have a full story at fieldhousefiles.com about that experience, plus a database of the players and coaches keeping track of when they tested positive, when they got out, how many games did they miss, etc. And to this point, 11 players have tested positive, the entire primary coaching staff, and then some staff members currently are in it at this moment. The head athletic trainer is in it. No players at the moment, though. And since that time, we've had Lance's return. We saw him sign two hardship contracts in a standard 10-day as well. We've seen Malcolm Brogdon continue to miss time with a sore Achilles, and he is so upbeat about it, it's almost strange considering he does miss time with it. He says it continues to get better. It's feeling great. Uh, He's had conversations uh, like I was talking with him about with with Kevin Durant, a guy who suffered a ruptured Achilles, and that's the primary concern. And he says that it's mostly 
dependent on whether he plays about how he feels that day, whether he's sore, how he wakes up essentially. Um, and so he's been questionable the last couple of weeks. He's played a couple times. He's sat out several more times. But the Pacers need consistency. They need reliability. And right now, Malcolm has not been that, unfortunately. And it's probably not the worst thing for him and for the team if he says, hey, you know what, let's just let's take it easy for the next three weeks. Let's get through all-star break and reassess his situation, especially where they are right now, where they haven't won a road game in two months, where they haven't won uh, back-to-back games in quite a while, where they haven't won more than a game since Christmas, where they've lost 13 of their last 16 games. I think you get the point. It has not been good, um, and that's now given the front office and coaching staff some room to to make trades, to tinker with the roster, to tinker with the starting lineup, to make changes both sending players out and taking some in, but also with starting lineups and and those sorts of things. We shall see. It's going to be really interesting. There's no doubt about that. That's what it's been like on a daily basis for me covering and reporting on this team. We've also had Miles Turner's injury, which now explains why he was so inconsistent the last couple of weeks, why he had frustrations both with his role and his performances, where he got this ain't P, and that could probably be an entire podcast if I wanted to. But he met with a couple doctors, one of the team doctors, and as I reported, he met with one once the team landed in Los Angeles. And it was determined that he has a stress reaction, which basically is an overuse injury. Um, It's nothing substantial yet. But if he kept playing, then there would be great concern. Think of it as a bone bruise. could become something worse, and that would be known as a stress fracture. It's not at that point... So he'll take it easy for the next several weeks. I think it's unlikely to see him for at least the first week in February. Then we'll see. And with the trade deadline approaching now, as of this recording, just about three weeks away, does he play in a Pacers uniform again? Does he even have Pacers even have to consider uh, him returning from injury? Now, obviously, this is going to give opposing teams some pause as they're trying to consider whether to acquire him and. In doing so, uh, Miles wants an extension, no doubt about that. So you have to weigh that into the conversation. He'll be in a contract year for next year if something uh, doesn't get done and that deal will get extended this offseason. So those are the different things that have to run through an opposing team's mind while trying to trade for a guy like Miles Turner who wants a greater role, wants more of an opportunity, wants to be the lone center. Uh, which he hasn't been able to really do for five years, especially the last three where him and Domus have started together. But they've been together now on the same team for five years, and I can't blame him to want a fresh start and to go somewhere else and, and really try to make something more of his career because right now he wants to get paid. Right now at, what, 25 years old, this could be his last big contract, and so that's important to him on top of trying to maximize his career, his potential, and, and seeing that through. But thankfully, Miles complained of something with his foot, not feeling right. They got it looked at, got a CT scan, and that revealed, I'm told, you know, nothing substantial yet. But it's thank goodness that they were able to do that test early. He will get an official test in a, a couple more weeks to see how he's coming along, very much like TJ Warren has. And yeah, what the hell? We're still waiting to see TJ Warren. It's been going on 13 months since he suffered that injury. I know there's a lot of rumors and speculation out there, and I know it's fun to sometimes get involved with those or think about it, but 
I can tell you right now, as of this recording, there's not been anything of substance or for anything worth sharing from my end. Um, If I shared every single thing that I have heard or someone has checked in on or I've called about, that'd be exhausting. And on top of that, you got to realize there's daily conversations going on where let's just take a random situation. Player is available. They call X team. Hey, are you interested? Team hangs up and says no. Uh, The team could offer something that doesn't make sense for either team. There's a lot of that, and there should be a lot of that. If you're seeing a lot of front office executives, this is part of their job is to call around and see what either the value is for a player or what it's going to take to offload a player because some teams want to get off contracts um, while others, especially this year, you're seeing there's a lot more buyers, I think, right now, very few sellers because how tight so many teams are in the standings. A couple nights ago, what was it, like the top seven teams in the Eastern Conference, all had the exact same record. They all had like 27 wins. Unbelievable. That's one of the reasons the Pacers have significantly fell in the standings. It's not just they've gotten worse and all of that. It's also that everybody else around them has gotten better. Now make sure you've joined the community at Fieldhouse Files and are subscribed so that you get every story that I write directly to your inbox. Right now, I'm almost writing daily because you have to. There is a lot going on. So you're getting daily coverage for $5 a month or $50 per year. Now on this podcast, first up is my conversation with Chris Taylor. He's from Maine, played college basketball, and has worked his butt off within the Pacers organization. Got a promotion moving up to the Mad Ants and taking on more responsibility in 2017. And now this season, for the first time, he's running that team. He's the GM, taking over from Brian Levy, who moved over to the Pacers in a scouting role where he's traveling a lot more, but less in charge of the G League affiliate for the Pacers. And the big news this summer that I broke on FieldhouseFiles.com is that the Pacers and the Mad Ants would share St. Vincent Center, that the Mad Ants would call Indy home, not Fort Wayne, for the first time. So they're practicing at the St. Vincent Center. Their apartments are, let's call it a nine iron from the St. Vincent Center. They're right there. And very soon, they'll have a couple more games played Nearby at Gamebridge Fieldhouse, where you can come and watch. It's open seating, cheap tickets, so if you want to see the Mad Ants, and possibility could be Goga Pataze or Isaiah Jackson. Maybe unlikely lately because Miles Turner being out. But nonetheless, you can see many of those players and check out the renovations made to the Fieldhouse as well because the NBA and the Pacers, they leaned heavily on the G League to keep their seasons afloat after so many players had entered the protocol. So in this conversation with CT, we talk about that, his promotion, one player asking to be involved in the draft room, and much more. All right, as promised, I'm now joined by Chris Taylor, the general manager of the Mad Ants in his first season with that new title. And let's start there, CT. We talked with you a little bit in training camp, and so much has transpired just in the last couple days, last month, and since training camp. But for you, this is a significant and, and step forward, step positive for you being promoted within the Mad Ants to now general manager after several years, more so probably behind the scenes. Now you are the head guy. What has this meant to you personally, um, taking another step forward? Yeah, thank you so much, Scott, for having me on. I'm glad it worked out uh, after we discussed the uh, components of the team and everything at, at training camp and media day, which feels like years ago, but yeah, it was just it a few short months ago. Um also, uh, you said a, a positive, which is, I think that's the only case 
in our current world where you can say positive and it, and it actually means a good thing. Um, <laughs> You're right. But, uh, You're exactly yeah, right. really excited to, to have the general manager title. Um, certainly something I've been working towards since I got here uh, to the Pacers organization as a basketball ops intern back in the summer of 2012, um, you know, which feels like another life ago uh, with the amount that I've learned and the, you know, tremendous amount of um, basketball knowledge that, you know, I've been able to be around and, and I've just tried my best to be a sponge and kind of absorb all the, uh, the genius that I've, that I've had a chance to be around with the incredible people that I've worked for the Pacers over the course of those years. Um, so it's, it, it's great. Uh, it's definitely presented some challenges, uh, as we were just discussing off air, um, you know, that, that the continued pandemic has, has thrown it from the team setting. Um, but at the same time, it's, it's exciting just to, cause you're learning something new. Uh, you know, I would say it magnifies even from day to day. It's, almost minute to minute, uh, you're learning something new. So can't really complain in that regard. Now you got promoted after Brian Levy, the former general manager, moved over to a scouting role with the Pacers. I'm curious, obviously he was kind of your boss the last couple of years, but also what level of influence has he maybe had on you as you've taken on uh, this new challenge? And I'm sure you guys still communicate almost every day, probably just talking basketball. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, Brian and I's relationship has grown, um, you know, tremendously since he brought me on uh, a handful of years ago. As first as the director of basketball ops here, when I transitioned from the Pacers full time to jumping on board with the Mad Ants, um, you know, he's taught me a wealth of knowledge over the years, and still uh, trusted confidant. Um, I always joke, I'm, I'm trying my best to to give him a little bit of space so I don't annoy him, um, you know, with calls or texts on the, on a daily basis. But, uh, but no, we're still, we were just texting earlier today, uh, just about some players. Cause he's still, um, with that new scouting role, he's not just doing NBA teams. He's also, uh, covering G league teams. So obviously has a great pulse, um, on the, on the current, you know, conditions of the G league. Uh, and he's, he knows players, uh, and he knows, knows the league itself better than anybody else that I've ever discussed with, um, you know, from the team setting or even at the league setting. So he's a, he's a tremendous um, point of contact for us just as, as our team as we continue to grow. Uh, and, and I, yeah, jokingly, again, I, I hope I don't annoy him uh, as much as we talk, but I think um, our relationship is, is as strong as ever, and I really appreciate his continued guidance even in the new role that he has. One thing, I, I, the, one of the biggest things that transpired over the off season in terms of your team with the Mad Ants is making Indy kind of the focal point, being back home here. And so, I mean, your your players right next door to the practice facility in terms of where they're staying, and they have twenty four hour access to this. Where it was a little bit more complicated up in Fort Wayne, and you guys practice at that facility. And as we've seen in the, over the last three weeks, the NBA would not have gone on if not for the help of G League players. And that's a different conversation, but. Walk me through kind of what it has been like for you guys being at the St. Vincent Center, having access to that, and on top of that, being around the Pacers every single day. And, and that probably really gives these players something to aspire to and even guys to learn from. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Uh, it's a great point, a great question associated with it. I think the first word that comes to mind is certainly appreciative of this opportunity for our team to be here in Indy. Um, we had a to be honest, we had a great setup in Fort Wayne, too, especially compared to some other G League uh, situations across the country, um, you know, for, for having our own practice facility through our sponsorship there in Fort Wayne and, and having 
you know, almost 24-7 access there where our guys could get in the gym with our coaching staff and get better from a player development standpoint. You know, we had a weight room, uh, our own separate facility, and then uh, then we'd play our games at the Coliseum. Um, so, you know, it's not always the case with every G League market. So we were definitely fortunate there. But, uh, but yeah, to, to have the chance to come here to Indy, it made the most sense from a COVID standpoint since we're all in the same protocols and we're all, you know, kind of tier one from the NBA's eyes um, to be here for, for testing and, and whatnot for, I think, the, the health and safety of our players and staff. Um, but it's, yeah, uh, definitely just that appreciation um, mindset has, has overflowed, I think, with our team. Uh, when we had our introductory luncheon, at the start of the season, you know, when I was presenting the team, I, I said, hey, there's never been a better ch- uh, a better time to be a G League player. And I think initially that was more just based on our proximity uh, to the Pacers, you know, and the, and the NBA parent club here initially. Uh, you, you touched on the fact that um, the guys can walk to and from their apartments, uh, you know, to the practice facility in our locker room here with the Pacers. But then also uh, league G League rules have shifted a little bit. Players no longer have roommates. They all have their own apartments. You oh, know, they're that's not. Huge. Yeah. Uh, they don't have to share rooms on the road. Um, you know, so it, it's those little things that at the G League level really go uh, a long way. But with that, uh, you know, insane. There's never been a better time to be a G League player. You fast forward, you know, a couple months, and then all of a sudden, uh, the G League is really keeping the NBA afloat with throughout the bevy of uh, of you know positive tests and um, NBA players going into protocol. So. Uh, so many of these G League players, you know, especially with us specifically, we've we've set a franchise record for the amount of call ups in a season so far. You know, we still have uh, two plus months to go. Um, so, I mean, that really rings true. Just there, there's never been a better chance, uh, better time to be here playing in the G League. Um, you get that NBA opportunity that all of us are working for. Uh, it's something that. Hey, as a staff and an organization, we constantly preach, uh, you know, we want all of our players and staff too, but to find ourselves in better basketball situations at the end of our time here with the Mad Ants. And, you know, whether that means taking a step to get to the NBA or, uh, or taking a step, getting a great contract overseas, or even if, you know, if you're a bench player or a role player, and then uh, improving your own skill set to then, you know, if you come back next year and you're a starter or, or a you know, high-level contributor, that's what it's all about. Um, so to be able to see these guys who work so hard throughout, even you know, from training camp or have played with us in the past that have Maddie's jerseys on going out every day in the G League schedule to then turn around and they have an opportunity to be with an NBA team, whether it's, you know, a 10-day or the COVID hardship uh, roster spot, whatever it may be, that, that's really what it's all about. And right now, there's probably no better example here locally than Kiefer Sykes, a guy that was at 28 was willing to go to Summer League was then at Pacers training camp, suffered a slight injury, was actually kind of replaced, right, with Brad Wanamaker, but willingly w- went and played with Matt Anson and led the whole G League in assists, proving his point, right, and now landed his first NBA contract. What have you seen from him over the last couple of months? And, and him, like so many across the league, getting this unique opportunity and turning it into a good positive. Yeah, yeah, he's the, the pinnacle of that right now, and uh, Kiefer's story is amazing. Um, but that comes down to a, a player that truly bets on himself, you know, that, that knows he has what it takes and, and believes in himself and has the, uh, the network around him that also, you know, helps believe in him. Like you said, uh, a vet that's played overseas and, you know, played in the TBT and everything else throughout the course of his career, but never had that 
uh, true NBA opportunity and was like, hey, I'm going to, you know, I'm going all in this year. I'm going to, like you said, play summer league. I'm going to, uh, you know, give the G League a try and prove to teams that I have the skill set, you know, and the mindset and everything else that, that proves that I can play at the NBA level. And, and look, I mean, he, he came out and had a career high playing at Madison Square Garden the other night with the Pacers. I mean, that's, that's like uh, fairy tale stuff, right? Um, you know, Kiefer, he, he was fantastic to work with from our perspective. Uh, again, like you said, uh, leading the G League in assists when he played with us. And um, I think people get caught up with the G League thinking that it's all about uh, getting your own stats that then uh, NBA teams will notice and bring you into their system. But it's more about fit. Right. I think. Um, but assists are one of those things. If, if you're leading the league in assists, that just means that you're making your teammates better and that you can fit in on any team. And uh, Kiefer proved that. And again, going back to having the chance to, to be here in Indy this season, you know, uh, routinely Pacers executives and, and the coaching staff have a chance to peek in and watch our practices here at, at SVC. Um, you know, I can see that Kiefer's putting the work in on a daily basis. It wasn't just. You know, he wasn't going through the motions and then just happened to be performing during games because some of his teammates were making shots. Like, Kiefer was in here nonstop, getting better, proving to, to everybody that he, you know, again, had what it takes uh, and couldn't be more happy for Keith. I mean, that's – he uh, he he elevated the entire organization um, and, and has helped kind of put the Mad Ants on the map, I think, with, with his play. And, yeah, we, we couldn't be happier for him. You mentioned something cool that uh, obviously we don't see, but so you you are seeing you know Pacer executives or maybe a pr- coach or two stop by, watch these practices, see a guy like Keith or Dwayne Washington or you know I don't know who, whoever on, on down the list you want to go to Benny Boatwright, um, just practicing and, and seeing the potential those guys could become. Yeah, that's that's the great part. We we work our schedule around the Pacer schedule, uh, so if the Pacers go in the morning. We'll try our best to, to get out on the court, you know, later on in the afternoon when things clear out. Um, so, yeah, I think it's it's uh, it's a nice distraction for some of the people that are here at work. Uh, you know, if you don't have a chance to step away, maybe for Pacers practice, there's some more action going on. You can just sneak down and, um, you know, sit on the court or, or even just, you know, how it is here in the practice facility where it's all just windows. You're kind of out there in the fishbowl yep. uh, on the practice court. So, um, you know, can pull the blinds up or whatever and look out of your office window and, and see our coaching staff and our players and uh, getting after it on, on a daily basis. That's, and I don't think that's any surprise then that, uh, you know, guys like Nate Hinton and Justin Anderson, um, you know, along with Terry Taylor being converted to a two way that those guys have received those uh, you know, those opportunities because on the daily basis, you're able to see the work that they're putting in. And the cool thing about that, and, and for some maybe, you know, life altering to a smaller extent is those guys for that 10 day will be compensated more in that 10 days for the NBA and give them that experience and exposure than with the G league. So that's a nice financial boost for those guys as well. In addition to being able to compete against some of the better players in the, in the NBA and learn from the NBA head coaches and those sort of things. And the other thing I like in all this CT too, is being around is your head coach, Tom Hankins. I mean, he was behind the bench the other night. He's able to, be in all the meetings and learn from Rick Carlisle and his staff. And in, in doing so, you kind of have that, that, I don't know, symmetry or consistency between the two levels. And so when Kiefer Sykes or Dwayne or Nate Hinton, whomever, gets promoted and goes up with the Pacers, most of the terminology and what they're trying to get accomplished is very similar, which probably makes things much easier for those guys. 
Without question, that's something that we've always tried to do in the past as well. But um, being here does make that a little bit easier. Uh, you're just you're more up to date. Um, ironic you bring that up. I was just at our practice earlier today. Uh, we were on the fever court just because that's what was available. And I was talking with Justin Anderson, uh, yeah. who just came back after that 10-day with the Pacers. And uh, we were just kind of joking that, yeah, like all the play calls are exactly the same from us to the Pacers. Um, and that's you know, that's, that's no uh, surprise that that's there by design, just so when uh, guys can fluidly, you know, transition, not just the two ways, but who knows what other uh, assignments might be the case. Gogo's played with us. Um, you know, Isaiah Jackson's played with us a couple of times. That's, that's in place to, to help our players improve so that there's nothing lost in translation and uh, prepare them for the big show, so to speak. Um, and that's something that we constantly harp on. Other than Kiefer, leaving him aside, because I think Pacer fans have seen what he can do and what he's been able to accomplish. Is there a guy or two do you, that we should watch more of, of, of your team, that that should be highlighted or is having a really good season um, right now? I know I know, it's someone in your spot or a coach hates to single out a guy, but I am curious if a guy in your mind has popped, say, this season. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I could easily go down our entire roster and, um, you know, biasly tell you <laughs> something, <laughs> something about – about each guy individually but uh but Gabe York um is a player that comes to mind uh he's a guy you drafted as record yeah uh, I'm, that's probably no surprise I brought him up but yeah he set our franchise record for uh most three-pointers made in a game um he had a chance uh it seemed like he was going to get a call up with with the team in the NBA but then there was some unfortunate COVID COVID related stuff that happened um but I think you know he's he's a any day now uh, wouldn't surprise me if we got a call and Gabe had that opportunity to, to have his first chance to, to suit up for an NBA team. Um, he's shooting at an incredibly high clip. He's proven to us this year that uh, I think in the past it was more perceived that he was, you know, score first uh, kind of shooting guard. Um, but when we drafted him this year, number three overall in the G League draft, you know, in that first initial conversation, he, he voiced that he wanted to Prove the teams that he had a chance to, you know, uh, play a little bit more combo position, could handle the ball, um, get his teammates involved, you know, and, and still score, which obviously he's shown. But uh, there's so many more facets to his game. Um, so he's, he's the guy that comes to mind for sure. Gabe York, got to keep an eye on him then for sure. I want to do I do want to go back to training camp, a conversation we had, but I think this would be really interesting to fans because not only do these players have to concern themselves with where they're at and and their family as well, but start thinking ahead to life after basketball. And one player who 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 did that recently was Justin Anderson. He was um obviously recently up with the Pacers on a 10-day hardship contract in his return, but in right before training camp you, you guys talked and said, hey, come on into the draft room. Be part of this with us. So they're at the St. Vincent Center for the draft. He was right there with you. And take me through that, that conversation and his involvement for that day. Yeah, that's, uh, that's going back in the archives, it feels like now. But, um, <laughs> right. yeah, that, that was a first for me, for sure, where a player had, uh, ahead of time anyway, openly come up and said, uh, you know, I'm not exactly sure everything that goes into – uh, preparation for the for a draft and but specifically the G League drafts. You know, would you mind if I was just kind of a fly on the wall uh, and and just kind of learned about the process? I'm trying to figure out you know life after basketball and just kind of interested in everything, whether it's broadcasting or maybe front office or coaching. You know, might kind of uh, strike my fancy. So um, you know, would you mind? Uh, and that was that was fantastic for us just to hear. Uh, that you know somebody is invested in the organization and and also just wants to learn and 
kind of better themselves uh, going through some different experiences. So uh, welcome Justin in with open arms. Uh, and, it, and it worked out, you know, timing wise, because he was here with the Pacers during training camp and uh, decided to stay here in Indy in between before the Maddens training camp started. He was just training every day. So uh, he was here. And then uh, G League draft was on uh, the 23rd, I believe. And then training camp kicked off on the 25th. So uh, he, you know, was in town and um, came in, you know, uh, just sat him down, kind of went through some of the players that we were targeting uh, and just kind of tried to brief him as much as we could, just kind of how a, a G League draft normally goes with communication between teams and talking trades and just kind of the whole process. Um, you know, he was very attentive and uh, it was great for us too because he had some insights that we didn't know, whether it was uh, some guys that he worked out with over the summers or players that he that he's uh, played with at different spots along his career. You know, it could kind of give us those the little insights that uh, from a staff side we, we wouldn't necessarily know. I think if I remember correctly, he had uh, he had some insider info on who was being drafted a couple spots after us that we hadn't quite heard yet, but Excellent. he happened to. Um, he had a connection and, and it worked out with the player uh, in the off season, um, either this year or the previous year. So he just he just kind of knew or had a good feel for where it was going, and he was right. So it was uh, it was fun. It was fun for everybody, I think. And um, you know, he said that he really appreciated it and he learned a lot. So that's, that was a that was a unique a unique experience of the G League. Yeah, and as we all know, info is king here, and so that had to be cool for him to be you know at that rectangle conference room with you guys, not only following along but chiming in when he could or needed to or even ask a question like that. But I, I was really impressed by that. I know Tamika Catching several years ago worked more directly in player development and, and I don't know what's next for players in the transition period. And so there's a guy like that already thinking ahead. And, yeah, you love to see things like that, right? For sure, yeah. And the league itself has placed a, a tremendous emphasis kind of on that uh, off-court player development or, or trying to – um, just kind of ignite some interest, I think, for, for players to for what life after basketball will consist of. Um, it was either two or three seasons ago. They've they've had a player development, um, you know, kind of contact in place for each team, and then at the league level, they've really uh, they've really been heavily involved with um, with just urging teams to to start those conversations with players or uh, put some you know programming or. Uh, having special guests come in and just kind of talk about, you know, everything that could be financial literacy. It could be, you know, real estate could be, uh, you know, anything about having, uh, you know, who to trust in your circle. All those type of things are, they're all beneficial. Right. Um, And that's uh, clearly Justin has listened to some of those programs over the course of the years. And, uh, and it was, it was fun to see. In addition to having kind of NDB home base, it also means your guys are using the facility, and that includes Bankers Life Fieldhouse. <laughs> there I go again. Gamebridge Fieldhouse for what was nine games. I think you had two so far canceled or postponed. I don't know what the official word will be on that, but it's special for them to get that opportunity. One, do you know anything? Will those two games that were postponed be rescheduled at the Fieldhouse? And secondly, maybe the biggest question for some Mad Ants fans is are we going to get uh, the Atlanta G League team so we can get Gans back here for a homecoming? Yeah, uh, I think we're still waiting for official word on the league. Our hope is that okay. uh, those games that we missed during the um, kind of COVID postponement uh, will be rescheduled for later in the season. I know we have a few breaks in the action in March. Uh, February is pretty full for us. Um, you know, or could maybe they could sneak them in uh, 
at the beginning of April before the playoffs start. That's our hope. But we, we ended up, we had four games postponed. Um, so that, you know, four more opportunities for our players to get out there and, and show what they have for NBA teams. Um, and yeah, with that, one of, one of the games that was postponed was when we were, <laughs> we had the, the little coach Gansey reunion yes, going against college, college park, park Skyhawks. Um, so yeah, our, our hope is that those will be rescheduled. Uh, if not, you know, we'll have to, we do play down in College Park at the start of next month, so we'll, we'll see. We'll at least see Gansey at one point. Yeah, but I, I need to, we need to get him back here for sure. And, and he always wanted to play at the Fieldhouse, so I thought that that could have been special um, as well. I'm curious as, as your role as general manager, how would you? How much of your time would you say right now is being spent with COVID-related things, whether it's your players being called up, whether it's bringing guys in? Because if, for those who may not have followed, you've been very busy over the last couple weeks. Brought back Walt Lemon, uh, Jr. Steph Hicks was here for a couple games. DJ McCall even brought in for a couple of games as well. Um, and you brought in a couple other guys and then waved them and that sort of thing. What has that been like for you here in the last couple of weeks, and, and especially now as you guys are trying to restart your season? Yeah, it's been hectic. Um, and, you know, even outside of kind of COVID related issues, we always uh, we always joke that you just really never know what's going to come up during the course of a day or that, you know, it, it could easily be 80 or 90 percent of what you're dealing with might not be basketball related yep. uh, or like strictly basketball related. It's more of the operational or just kind of behind the scenes details that we all have to work through. And, and COVID has certainly presented some different hurdles. Um you know, than, than we've ever experienced before. Uh, it does feel like there's been a little bit of a revolving door with players that have been wearing Mad Ants jerseys. But if you look at the, uh, if you kind of canvas the league as a whole, we've had less issues than a lot of other teams. Good. Uh, so there, there's a silver lining in that. Um, and with that, I think that's how we've tried to embrace the positive of uh, the whole situation and, and recognize that you know, with some of these hurdles, there's also uh, a lot of opportunities presented by that. Um, you know, like you said, with the with the chance to have Walt back in uh, back in a Mad Ants uniform with us, and Steph uh, Steph kind of used it as a springboard to get a fantastic um, opportunity overseas. Uh, that you know he's playing, wish him the best. But yeah, it was great to have DJ McCall back with us for a couple games or eight, yeah, a couple games, and who knows what the future holds there. Um, so it, it's certainly been hectic. Uh, I think you're just constantly, you know, refreshing the uh, the page on the on the uh, G League roster site just to see, you know, who's active, who's been waived, who's cleared waivers, you know, if it makes sense positionally to bring somebody new in. And then obviously communicating with our medical staff just to make sure that uh, when we get tested every day, uh, you know, knock on wood, nobody's fallen into uh, COVID protocols with a a, a positive result. Um, And if that's the case, you just, you figure out how to get through it. One of the bigger things that um, are kind of the marquee, uh, mindsets that we've had since day one we decided uh it's to be adaptable you know that's just kind of the the word that we use no matter what it is that that comes with being based here in indy then still playing some games at fort wayne or uh you know we we normally practice here at svc but sometimes like i said today we practice on the fever practice court we've been out on the main court um you know bouncing between a few different locker rooms uh and COVID has presented those those obstacles as well but it's just be adaptable um and embrace the grinds you know this is all part of the journey uh, of helping us all get to that better basketball situation. So it's, you, you can look at every situation in, in, in two lights, uh, in two lights, right? It's either a negative or a positive. So why not try our best to make things positive? One of the great positives 
has been Lance Stevenson returning. And you obviously go back with him just like I do because we were here during his previous stints. And what what have you seen from him? And I mean, it's been much of the same, but I think more of a mature player since his last visit. Yeah, definitely. Uh, yeah, when I first came in in 2012, obviously that was peak Lance um, with those <laughs> great teams going to the Eastern Conference Finals. So yeah. I had a chance to, to get to know you know, that version uh, almost 10 years ago. And then when the Pacers had picked Lance back up the second time, uh, I was actually the guy that was in the car service uh, that met him at the airport. And then we had to take him um, to all, the, all of his medical and uh, doctor's appointments. So I had a chance to get to know him, you know, a lot more after being with him in a car for, for a couple of days, uh, which was really neat. And then we actually, uh, when we played Grand Rapids, Gold, Denver's affiliate, uh, just before the showcase, Lance was with them. That was before he had gotten uh first that first call up with Atlanta um so I had a chance to talk to him in Grand Rapids you know just kind of catch up on the family and all kind of the off-court stuff but then also had a chance to see firsthand that he still can bring it um he still has something different and uh uh, can perform at the NBA level so when I heard news that um he was going to have the chance to come in here just after the holidays uh, I was really excited you know for him but also just because as we've all seen that fan component, he injects so much life into whatever situation he's in. He's a, he's a positive energy, um, you know, and just has, it's infectious, right? You see our bench, everybody's up there jumping around, uh, had the same conversation with Nate Hinton, who's a similar, uh, positive energy for us with the Mad Ants, you know, whether he's on the court or, or on the bench cheering on the team, it's like, he just, he influences everybody else around him to, to be energetic and bring something different. Um, you know, and that's, that's Lance to a T. I was at the Celtics game last night. Um, you know, you can, you just love to see it. Uh, he gets that, that kind of Lance mindset going where he starts skipping with the ball after a big rebound or whatever it may be. And you just know something yep. good is going to happen. So it's been fun to see. Proudly from Maine, uh, played basketball at Emerson College and worked for the Red, Red Claws, the Celtics, the Pacers here, now running the Mad Ants. At what point did you know, I want to work in basketball after college? Oh, man, it, it, for as long as I can remember, okay. that's always been the goal. Um, and I think from talking to a lot of other people, it's like, uh, for me, it wasn't just strictly, hey, I want to work in basketball. You know, I didn't, uh, some people are like, hey, I'd like to get into coaching or scouting or whatever it may be. But I, for me, it was always the NBA. I didn't really have any interest in, in working at the college level. Um, you know, if that's what it came down to, to be around the game, no question, I, I would take that. But, uh, but yeah, the goal for me was always to work in the NBA and I always had the, the desire to be on the front office. Um, didn't exactly know the path that it would take to get there, but I was trying my best to, to put myself in a position to, to make that attainable. Um, so, yeah, like you said, when I was playing in college uh, in Boston, had an unbelievable chance to uh, to first intern with the Celtics. I was on the business side, but it helped really get my foot in the door. Um, that's where you know I, I met a lot of people uh, with different teams. Would always just try to uh, pick the brains of anybody from visiting teams that that were in the Garden, uh, just to kind of find out their own path or any advice that they may have. Um, and uh, yeah, looking back, one of the you know some of the best connections that I'd made uh, was with the Pacers. I uh, just didn't really know it at the time, but, um, you know, continue to keep in touch and kind of nurture those relationships and hard to imagine, uh, you know, that I was given the full-time opportunity back in 2012 and then have, uh, have still remained with the organization. So just incredibly thankful. Um, like I said at the beginning, like, and you know, 
from being here for so long as well, like, there's been some incredibly high level people that have uh, that have come through, you know, still work for the Pacers, but then have also worked for the Pacers over the years. So uh, it'd be it'd be foolish of me not to sit back and just appreciate the amount of basketball knowledge that that I've been able to you know kind of be privy to just whether sitting in a room or actually having uh, and being part of the conversation. Good stuff, CT. I appreciate it. You're one of the things I like being in this role is the ability to highlight those that maybe don't necessarily get it. I'd include yourself in that. Individuals like Kelly Crosskoff, Vance Catlin, Ryan Carr. Those are guys in the scouting department. But you're sure one of them. So not only did I want to talk Matt Ants, but also about yourself and the path you've taken to get to a leadership role where you're running a team right now. So that's been really cool. And for fans that want to check out, Pacer fans want to see your team here in Indianapolis at Gainbridge Fieldhouse. January 25th and 27th are the next couple of dates so those should be fun excellent yeah thank you so much Scott I appreciate the opportunity and um, as always you know look forward to seeing you at the at the field house and any fans that are listening Fort Wayne's just a, a short two-hour drive north as well so we're, we're more than welcome to welcome you at the Coliseum you can see our guys up close and personal and uh, and yeah like you said at, at the field house as well my thanks to CT who has been around the field house for a decade now he's one of many who deserves some more shine. And so I was happy to give that to him and give him a platform to talk right here on this podcast. I appreciate executives willing to share and take us through their mindset and the different things that go on in their world every single day. Now, next up is another familiar name. It's Carlos Knox. He's in the IUPUI Athletics Hall of Fame. He's close with players like George Hill and Tamika Ketchings. I actually first met him many decades ago when I was helping Tamika Ketchings out during her workouts, and those would often be run by Knox himself. Now, he's returning to the Fever as an assistant coach, which allows him to come back here to Indy, what he refers to as his second home. This conversation was taped a couple months ago at the end of November before I wrote my story about Carlos, but right now they're in the middle of free agency, and the draft will pick up here in a couple of months, and they have an important pick right there at the top of the WNBA draft, and Knox then will be charged with coaching them as well as working in player development. So I hope you enjoy this conversation. Now joined by Carlos Knox, a name you're probably familiar with, but we haven't heard from in quite a while. Well, that's going to change. You're going to start hearing from him more often because he's coming right back here to Indianapolis where he really established himself as a player at IUPUI going into the Hall of Fame and such, working with Tamika Ketchings, working for the Fever, and with so many young talents as well because he's coming back as an Indiana Fever assistant coach starting this week. And so, Carlos, first of all, congratulations on your new gig. And uh, catch us up. What have you been up to? What has life been like for you uh, here in the last couple of years? Most recently, I know, serving on the staff at uh, Cincinnati Women's Basketball. Yes, yes. Thanks, Scott. I appreciate it. Um, <clears throat> well, yeah, one of the things I've been up to, um, I actually tried my hand at college basketball when I left the Fever. And, um, that was in 2017. I, was, I ended up going to University of North Texas, uh, coached there for three years. Uh, and then I took, <clears throat> I took a shot at University of Cincinnati. And uh, I was there for two years. So it's been a it's been a a, a wild road on the, to the college scene, but it's been a it's been a fun road, and we've really had a an enjoyable time. I, I really liked the college game, and it was one of those things that I uh, I just got educated from a lot of different angles. What did you find was the biggest difference, change, or adjustment 
that you had going from the pros to the college game and full disclosure you've worked with players at all kinds of levels from high school to college to pro so you've worked with them all but working for a college team you have very different interests meaning you have to make sure they're going to classes and, and take care of their food whereas pros they kind of handle that stuff on their own exactly well <clears throat> just to be uh, frank, one of the things is it's always a challenge when you talk about bigger, stronger, quicker athletes mm -hmm. and then, um, you know, going to a place where that is not the case. So coming from the pro game, it was a lot of people that were, you know, definitely just just great athletes. They come from book time programs. They were able to come right in and transition as pros. And then you go to a uh, mid-major college, and most young ladies don't have that type of ability. So it made it fun because it, it came down to you coaching the game and really developing players at a high level um, just to try to see if you could get them to a, a place where, as a team, they could really focus and, and, and push through to, to, to make some good progress. Um, so <clears throat> by far, it was one of my most challenging things that I've done in the game of basketball but overall it was a very very fun experience but I realized one thing for sure um, you know the pros is where I belong mm -hmm. um, that's something that I really uh, truly put all my blood sweat and tears uh, into as a player and as a coach um, so I just really I'm really ecstatic to be back with the fever. Yeah, and the number one thing also is back with Tamika Catchings, who is leading and guiding that franchise in the front office and such. And how many hours, countless hours, I mean, hundreds, we probably spent in the gym, us three, me, you, and Catch, <laughs> back in the day. And, and a lot of the stuff was skill development, which I'd love to get into. But first, just talk me through uh, how this came about. I assume Catch reached out to you, um, you, you pondered it and considered and, and realized, hey, I want to get back to pros. And so that's why you're returning. Well, absolutely. One of the things that <clears throat> me and Kat shared uh, for years is just the passion, the desire, the focus to win. Mm -hmm. um, like you said, countless hours in the gym, but more than any, any anything, she's just a great, hard worker. And, uh, you know, we match in that area. So with her going through uh, the ups and downs at the fever and me being in the college game, uh, obviously we talk every other day. Um, we text every other day. She keeps up with me. I keep up with her. Um, and just, we know what type of team we are together. And that's a great team. Uh, we've always had success together. So when she called, you know, I listened. And um, when I talked to her, um, you know, we always, get down into the meat and potatoes of what's really going on. And and one of the things she needed was uh, a person that could come in and, and be on her team and not only be on her team, but, you know, just have a good eye for the game, good eye for good sense for the, the team and what the team needed. And then, you know, just talking with her about Marianne, <clears throat> that was something that was very, um, intriguing to me because I love, I love Marianne as a head coach. I've seen her do some phenomenal things on the uh, pro level. So I definitely wanted to be a part of that as well. And then to say the less big Vicky Hall <clears throat> and Jerry Simpson are, are people that I'm mm -hmm. very, very familiar with. Um, so it was really a great way for me to come back in and be comfortable enough to where we can move this franchise back in the right direction. 
And that's what it's all about right now. It needs to see progress, needs to see those wins again, and, and get back to the expectation that goes beyond just making the playoffs, which is what we knew when both myself and you were there, and that really when Ketch was there, because when she was playing – that was not just the expectation. That was, uh, you know, the finals was really the true goal. How much, uh, talk about the head coach, Marion Stanley, uh, came over from the Washington program a couple years ago and uh, trying to build up this fever program again. What, if anything, are you, do you know about her? Or are you learning about her over these last well, few weeks when this opportunity came about? Well, Marianne, uh, obviously, she has a big name in the WNBA. Um, and if you follow women's basketball like I follow it, mm-hmm. um, you know, but not very hard to pick up on her being one of the elite coaches. So I like to study. I like to study the game and study the great coaches. Uh, she was an integral part of them winning the championship <clears throat> when she was there. And that was one of the things that I really admired about her. So when Catch talked about hiring her, um, it was really uh, just a, a, a no-brainer. It was one of those things where I was very excited and happy for Catch because I felt like she made the right decision. And, again, you know, there's ups and downs to the game. Marianne, you know, she hasn't had the success that she's had, you know, before. But at the same time, she's on the right track because she has players that are in place. She has some good pieces. And now um, adding me, I just really feel like we're going to be able to do some great things together as well as the rest of the coaching staff. But uh, I can't say enough good things about Marianne. She's a class act Mm -hmm. and she really speaks highly of, you know, the organization, the team catch and uh, actually myself. So, you know, I think we'll do great things together. I know you've been really busy as an assistant coach with the Cincinnati women's basketball program, but I'm curious, have you yet been able to make it back into new Gainbridge Fieldhouse and see the new facilities, the new practice court, the new locker room, and those sorts of things that have been upgraded here over the last year? Oh, yes, I did. I, I got a chance to come back okay. and uh, kind of do it. It was it, it was actually amazing because I remember. <laughs> it's a game changer, man. So much better, so much different, so much more improved. It is. It is. You know, what? what's crazy is I think we went from Conseco to Banker's Life. You remember? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> like when, when we were when we were coming up, it was Conseco Fieldhouse and then it changed to Banker's Life. So that was kind of uh, I don't know to see it be another name this quick. It just kind of tripped me out a little bit, but it was perfect for me to come in and see all the new additions. Um, it's actually incredible. It looks like a smart arena <laughs> oh 100 percent, and it, it's just more functional and makes a lot more sense in, in terms of how they utilize space and raise the court and then put the locker room and a weight room and coaches offices underneath it it's way more functional yeah. um and I'm, I'm sure i'm guessing you've been able to well, go across the street here over the last three or four years since it's been there with the pacers new practice facility and 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 you worked with a lot of pre- Pacers in the past, uh, in particular George Hill. So he was here earlier this week when the Pacers played the Bucks, which was cool to always see him. But there was a lot of yeah. a lot of guys like him, him, um, Sam Young. I remember you working with. There's uh, several others, but you made yourself available to not just catch, but so many in this area, and even it extended towards the Pacers, right? Absolutely. Yes. That's one of my things that I uh, just always focused on as a player development guy. Um, <clears throat> it, it was just such a pleasure to work with those type of guys actually running the Indy Pro-Am, 
that was one of the things that mm -hmm. you know kind of drew them attracted them to me as well just watching my pro am and being a part of it you know from the lance stevensons to the eric gordons gordon hayward all those guys were just so in tune with you know playing uh successful safe environment basketball games in the pro am and it just allowed us to train during the week so you know, I always had a great relationship with Kevin Pritchard. Um, you know, whoever was the head coach at the time, Nate McMillan, uh, from Brian Shaw to Frank Bogle. I just yeah. had a great relationship with everybody that was always a part of our organization. So it's one big family now with the uh, Pacers um, organization. So it's always um, very unique, but at the same time, very welcoming. Yeah, and to that point, I always thought it was cool how you would you were welcome. Uh, you know, I think it was Frank Vogel at practices, and so you'd be there taking notes, and Stephanie White may even be there with you, or things like that, so you can not only be around those guys, but also take notes of how they're doing things and try to grab from them as much as um, coaches, you know, st a joke that they steal from each other, right? Whether it's plays or uh, organizational concepts or culture setting things. And so I thought that was cool to see you for at least a couple seasons. I remember, uh, you just randomly be at practices and observing. Of course. Yeah. And a lot of times I would get permission from the head coaches, um, just after creating relationships and kind of talking basketball, um, you know, the respect level as being uh, on the professional level as a coach, it's kind of like, okay, man, you know, we're here for each other. So, um, I've never had a problem <clears throat> making a friend, so to speak, or making sure that I'm in tune with everybody that's around me because I love the game so much. I respect the game so much, and it has been so wonderful to me in life. So a lot of times, the you know, coaches talk amongst each other and they get that sense or that feel for it just being something great amongst us. And, you know, they open openly um, invited me to practices at all times. And I, it was never a time where I couldn't attend. Yeah, I, all the way back to Jim O'Brien, to be honest. Is that right? Okay. That's fair. Yeah. <laughs> Man, yeah. that's been a while. A couple decades now we're talking there. But that, that speaks right. to you being present, you being around, and having the respect of those that matter within the organization over the years, as you said, no matter uh, whom whom was in charge uh, over those years. You did bring up earlier, and I was going to get to it, was that the Knox Indy Pro-Am, which was terrific. I think it went seven years before you had to uh, uh, finally cancel it because you moved on to North Texas. There was even a, a year hiatus, and then it returned, I think, for seven years. But that was just a great offering in the off season for one, for fans to see some basketball countless times, Lance Stevenson, Chris Copeland, uh, all those different guys you, you rattled off. I remember even so many of the Indiana basketball guys getting permission to come down and, and participate in that. And so with Pacer players or IU players allowed to play in it, that says a lot about what those teams think about you and the respect they have because they're not just going to go let their players play in any old league during the summer. Um, what what went into that decision and, and jump-started you to launch that and run that for, I don't know, f about seven years and even bring on several different sponsors each year? Well, I, <clears throat> I always tell this story because it's so it's so amazing, to okay. be honest. Um, I, I used to train at a post-road uh, church on post out east, Indianapolis and um, we would have training sessions all the time where we uh, we would have different pros in you know from George Hill 
to uh, Fred Jones, to Danny Granger, Ron Artest, all those guys were coming out there to my training sessions as well as, um, you know, just open gym. So um, one of the things that happened was when we would start to leave our sessions, you know, each person would kind of just sit and wait for the next session to happen and work. Um, but then they would start to just form two on two, three on three, four on four teams, and they would start to play. And uh, one thing led to another. So guess what? When we would walk outside, there will be several people outside <laughs> saying, hey, this <laughs> is in there. Hey, Danny Granger is in there. Next thing you know, the news got a hold of it. They came out there. They done an interview. So I just kind of <laughs> sat back and thought to myself, "Wow, this could really be a, uh, you know, a business. This could be something that we could really do for the city, and make sure that it's uh, very solid. You know, where people can come out and watch, and you know, we get great training, great work, and you know, add some great referees in the mix. And next thing you know, you have something that's really, really prominent and at the same time, we had a potential well, – well, not even potential. We had eight first-round draft picks from this area. Mm -hmm. well, I mean, from Josh McRoberts to Gordon Hayward, uh, Hayward Workman. I mean, I'm sorry, not Hayward Workman. Uh, Eric Gordon, Gordon Hayward, uh, right. George Hill, Jeff Teague. Uh, we had Courtney Lee. You know, Zach Randolph, Shelvin Mack, Matt Howard. I mean, you know, we had a lot of guys that were actually right here. And that was one of the big reasons why it was so successful, because those guys wanted to come and they wanted to come and compete against each other. So that was perfect for us. You're getting this opportunity to come back to Indiana where, you, you, at least in my mind, you, you made your name for yourself there at IUPUI and, and then working with George Hill, working with the Fever previously, working with Ron Hunter. Are those some of the people you think about initially when uh, returning back to Indiana? Absolutely. Uh, Indianapolis is like my second home for sure. And those guys mean a lot to me. Uh, each name that you uh, – each person that you named is, is very integral in my life. Um, you know, we talk – uh, every once in a while, but, you know, it used to be a lot more than now, but everybody is busy. You know, people have lives and they have uh, teams to run as well as myself. So um, it's not every day, all day like sure. it used to be. But if we eat, if anyone needs something from anybody, you know, we'll pick up the phone and call, talk to each other and, uh, you know, figure stuff out. But for the most part, yes, Indy will always be my second home and um, they always embrace me with a warm heart. And then I got to touch on your relationship with catch, of course, because that is special one. Um, yeah, you guys are there always for each other in, in texts or messages or whatever, but especially in her playing days when she needed someone to coach her through things, you were one of them right there that she called and worked with, whether it was her <laughs> patented 7 a.m. Uh, workouts that always frustrated me because they were so damn <laughs> early or even onto the court, you know, three hours before a game. How long did that relationship go back? And, you know, what, what kind of influence has she had on her on your life? <clears throat> well, we don't have enough time to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. You know, she means the world to me. Tamika means the world to me because she is uh, one of those people that has always had my back. I've always had hers. Um, you know, from her playing days, one of the things that we connected on was just – Again, the love for the game, the understanding of the game, the respect for the game. Uh, Catch is a class act. She always done everything at 100%. Um, she always looked 
for the right answer if she did not have the right answer. And that's where I came in a lot of times. Um, I was able to play for a long time uh, in college and after. And uh, she was just very interested in getting knowledge from every single person that she could obtain knowledge from. And it was so good for her um, because she came to me at a time where, you know, I was very open to that. And I came to her at a time where she was very open to that. And our friendship is more like family. It is. I mean, she loves my family like I love her family. And I want to see her successful. If Catch, you know, picks the phone up and she calls me, I'm there 100%, no matter what. Um, you know, I love her like a sister. Um, and and it, it will never, ever change in that regard. So uh, the last but not least, I want to say that you know, she is one of those people that matches my energy. She matches my focus uh, in this game of basketball. And I feel like with us together, I don't think that it will ever be a time where we can't get something accomplished on or off the floor. And uh, I look forward to it. <clears throat> and obviously we're talking about just me and her relationship. Mm -hmm. So never excluding the, the coaching staff or the organization, you know, that's just me and her. Sometimes we can look each other in the eyes, um, you know, and, and say, you know, th it's time to go. Let's go. What are we going to do here? Yeah. And, Motivate and each other a little bit and and share honest opinion about what, what you're both seeing out on the floor with the team. Absolutely. Yes. So I know big things are coming with her. I mean, you know her. She's a winner and she's going to continue to have that mindset no matter what. So she'll get it right. We'll get it right, and we'll make sure that we ride off in the sunset the way we always do. <laughs> I love it, man. Jared back, now you joining the fray, and, and of course, catch running the whole thing. But good to catch yeah. up with you. Congratulations on the new gig that starts this month, and uh, we're really excited to have you back here, back in your second home, as you said, Los. Yes, sir. You've heard from Chris Taylor, you've heard from Carlos Knox, and you'll hear from me again later this week. It's a busy time approaching the trade deadline. The Pacers, so much going on with them, losing on the court, um, how they are handling that, going on their longest road trip of the season, gone for seven of eight games. That's very difficult and is a, a big marker here at their season, which is already past the midway point. And this season clearly has been a huge disappointment for them. And so changes here at the trade deadline I think are inevitable. And if there aren't, there better be a damn good explanation. Now, if there's something else you'd like for me to discuss on this podcast, please tweet me at Scott Agnes, or you can send me an email, fieldhousefiles at gmail.com. That will do it for this episode, and I'll talk to you again soon.